Welcome to Vegan Business Talk with Katrina Fox, author of Vegan Ventures, Start and Grow an Ethical Business. Hello and welcome to episode 106 of Vegan Business Talk. I'm Katrina Fox, journalist, author and PR consultant and founder of Vegan Business Media, a content events and training platform providing success strategies for vegan business owners and entrepreneurs. Now, before we get into the main part of the show, I wanted to let you know about my online PR course and group coaching program, Vegans in the Limelight. It's ideal for small business owners, including authors, artists and creatives on a budget who understand the value of getting yourself or your vegan brand featured regularly in the media, but can't afford to spend thousands of dollars or pounds a month to hire a publicist or PR firm. With Vegans in the Limelight, you get access to online video training that takes you through every step of how to get media coverage that can help you generate more leads and sales, as well as grow your email list and social media following. So we cover how PR and social media work in tandem, how to research and target the media without spending a cent, how to find the stories in your vegan brand on a regular basis, how to approach journalists the right way with ideas and stories. That's a really important one. How and when to write a media release. How to create an online media room for your website without spending heaps of time or money. How to respond to journalists' call-outs or queries, which is the easiest and quickest way to get media coverage and free publicity content marketing and PR, so how to create your own shareworthy stuff and leverage it to the max, writing and content creation tips for opinion pieces, listicles, features and columns, speaking gigs and PR, so how to leverage events to gain media coverage, and interview tips for print, online, radio and TV. Now, as well as the video training, which you go through at your own pace over 12 months, the program also includes a full 12 months of group coaching, including a monthly live Q&A call. You can also post your questions throughout the year on the learning platform, and you can post your pitches and media releases and get feedback from me before you send them to journalists. So you've basically got me holding your hand, helping you to do your own PR for a full year. It's a great value program. It's way more affordable than similar courses. And it's the only one that's specifically aimed at vegan and plant-based business owners, entrepreneurs, authors, coaches, and creators. Current students have already got media coverage in mainstream and specialist newspapers, magazines, radio and TV shows, as well as blogs and podcasts. So if you'd like to get your vegan brand or yourself featured in the media, but don't have the budget to hire a publicist or PR agency, then I highly recommend you check out this program. You get full and immediate access to the materials as soon as you enroll. You can find out all the details by going to veganbusinessmedia.com and clicking on the link for the program Vegans in the Limelight. And there's also a link on the show notes page. And if you have any questions about the program, including whether it's right for you, feel free to email me at katrina at veganbusinessmedia.com. Now for the main part of the show. 
In this episode, I interview Nicole D'Angelo, owner of the Yoga Collective Studio in New York. Nicole left her full-time career as a social worker in the Philadelphia suburbs to move to the Big Apple in 2014 to pursue her dreams of working in health and wellness. Just four days after she arrived in New York, she started her yoga training. A graduate of the Three Sisters Yoga School, she's taught gentle yoga, yoga for runners, and meditation for runners at the Yoga Collective, which she bought in 2015 and currently manages the studio. Her aim is to create a space for artists and teachers to do what they love for themselves and the community. Nicole also graduated from the Institute for Integrative Nutrition in 2014 with a health coach certification and is a writer and recipe developer. She maintains a blog called Forever Plant-Based, which is a health and wellness website dedicated to plant-based recipes, meditation, running and fitness. In this interview, Nicole talks about how she supported herself with side hustles during her transition to New York from Philadelphia, the challenges of moving from a stable 9-to-5 job in your hometown to a new city to run your own business and how to handle them, how she overcame the loneliness and homesickness that set in when she moved to New York, how she knew when she was ready to give up her side hustles and work full-time in the business, The business model she uses, which is unlike most yoga studios, and the benefits this offers the teachers as well as her as the owner, the online and offline marketing techniques she uses to promote the studio, and much more. Here's the interview with Nicole D'Angelo from The Yoga Collective. Hello, Nicole. Thank you so much for joining me. Hello, you're welcome. Thank you for asking me. Oh, no, it's great. I'm really looking forward to, to chatting with you because I think people are going to get a lot of value out of uh, our, our interview because I love the fact that you've moved from, uh, from now, is it Pennsylvania or Philadelphia? <laughs> I keep yeah, it's Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania on the suburbs of Philly. <laughs> on the suburbs of Philly. And you've moved, uh, like many people do, to the big city, to New York City, and you're running your own business. So first of all, yeah. before we dig in a little bit to that, First of all, tell me your why. So you run the the yoga studio in New York. You've got a blog and you do some um, plant-based coaching. So tell me a bit about your drivers, about why you do what you do. So I was a social worker in Pennsylvania and then I started, um, I went vegan in 2011 and then I just got really inspired. I started cooking a lot more and then I started my blog it's called Forever Plant Based, and um, it's a lot of recipes. And I talk about fitness and meditation. And I just really wanted to transition from social work to more health and wellness. So I signed up for yoga teacher training in New York, and I made the move. And I started my training like three days later. And wow. it just opened up a whole, yeah, it, just, it was really scary. I'm not going to, I'm not going to lie. It was very scary, but I'm so happy that I did it. I, um, I took my training and then I found out that the studio that I did all of my training at was going to be, um, sold. The business was going to be sold because the person wanted to move on and do other things. 
And I bought the business from her and I've been running the yoga studio ever since. And it just so happens that she moved on to uh, be the assistant director of Three Sisters Yoga, which rents my space for their training. So everyone kind of stayed in the family and it's been so amazing. I just never knew that this would happen. Wow. So you said you went, so when you landed in New York, you did your yoga training straight away. So how long did you train? How long was the training? Because I know yoga trainings are different in terms of length. Yeah, the training was the 200 hour training. So it was six weekends of um, Thursday and Friday nights and all day Saturday and Sunday. So it was summer of 2014. It was um, six whole weekends. So it was pretty intense, but it was, it was very, you know, thorough. We learned a lot, made a lot of new friends. It was wonderful. Right. So how did you support yourself during that time? Were you doing, working another job when you got to New York or off savings? Yeah. Yeah. So I still had, um, I still was being paid for my social work job because I had a lot of time saved, but I got, um, a nanny job and dog walking job as I was doing. Yeah. As I was just trying to get on my feet in New York. So I did a lot of like, um, kind of side job kind of things. Got it. Got it. Such a big change. It's always interesting to me how people, cause like you say, you left a well-paying, you know, I guess a fairly secure, uh, job in in social work to, to come to the big city and, and do something completely different. So I, I love that. Wow. Um, so now you mentioned that you bought the business, um, from the woman who was running it. So did you buy the physical premises as well, or is that still like you pay rent? No, I pay rent. So I bought the LLC. I oh, rent okay. the space. Got it. Yeah. Got it. Okay, cool. Cool. Now tell me some of your, what were some of your challenges? So particularly in the beginning and how you dealt with them. So I came from a nine to five job, like I was saying. So it was very difficult to go to something where you run it yourself. And I was really unsure and a little nervous and scared at first because I've never run a business before. Um, so I eventually just kind of, you know, went to other people for help and kind of learned through doing and making mistakes. And um, also the free time when you have a business, like you have a lot of time just for yourself where you have to structure it yourself. And I wasn't used to that. So it was getting um, kind of a routine going and setting my day and, and staying self-motivated. It was, it was hard at first. Yeah. Yeah. I can imagine that it's such a difference, isn't it? Where you've got the structure where you kind of walk in and, and it's all there and then you have to do that yourself. And I think you're right about the self-motivation. Um, that can be um, quite a challenge. So that's, um, that's fantastic. Um, so what are your challenges now? Um, now, so now I'm able to live mostly off of the yoga studio. So, which is really good, but I, it's also, so in November, I redid the whole studio. I got it repainted and, and got new um, props and just totally redid all of our um, discount class packages. And I was, I threw myself into it and I thought, you know, I need to do this full time. I want to be able to, you know, have this be my main income So now I'm a little bit more structured, a lot more structured during the day, but I'm also 
kind of nervous because I'm now it's my full income. So I, I'm just nervous. Like I want to keep going. It's doing really well. And I just want to stay motivated so that I can keep going, um, more, you know, feel more motivated and kind of keep going with it. Yeah. So I don't want to be stagnant. Like I just want to have a lot more, um, new ideas. It's, kind of challenging just to keep going with your own business because there's no one like telling you what to do you know yeah yeah for sure and I love that I love that you've started out you've done what many entrepreneurs do is that you you start the business and then you keep you know either a part-time or a full-time job on the side while you build it up and then gradually go in and take that leap and I guess it's always a bit scary isn't it taking that that leap to go okay it really is is. (laughs) and and I actually kept um I do um, walk dogs and I dog sit them. Well, that's kind of fun, isn't it? Yeah. You know what? I was <laughs> that doesn't say, sound like, like it's, work. <laughs> it's, one, it's really not. That's kind of why like, oh my gosh, I get to have like, I get to have time with other people's wonderful dogs, but then it's also great like side money. Of course. So I definitely still do that. <laughs> Great. No, lovely. I love that. Um, so now you've got an interesting model. So in terms of the yoga studio, so you've got the studio, you provide all the props and everything and the mats, etc. But you don't actually hire uh, instructors and instead they actually pay you to hire the space and then they run their own classes and they even do their own booking so people can either pay cash or if they've got the, if the teacher has their own booking system they do that that's quite an interesting um, model so tell me a little bit about that and why you chose that model and its advantages and any disadvantages for you and the yoga teachers Yes. Um, so when I bought the business, the model was already in place. Um, the the teacher before me, Jen, she's the director of three sisters yoga. She, um, found the space so she could have a place for her teacher training. And she just went, kept going with that model where teachers rent from her, rented from her and taught their own classes. So it's a space for entrepreneurs to do whatever they wish and not be tied down by um, like an employer or someone who hires them or another studio, you know, asking them to teach this, this and that. They can come in and just do whatever they wish. They teach yoga, Pilates, workshops, whatever they, whatever inspires them. Okay. So yeah, it's a great model. Um, So how does that work? Yeah. Go go and carry on. Sorry. Yeah. Oh yeah. So what they do is they rent space from me. Um, they pick their date and time. They um, sign in online and they book their space. And then they bring in their own own students, and the students pay them, and they hold their class in my space. And if they need help advertising, um, I put their class on our social media. The class is listed on our website. So I can help them get students, but I can't like guarantee them students. Right. So it's like a way to kind of promote them and bring people in to take classes from, you know, teachers that don't have a set weekly schedule. They have, you know, this workshop that they're presenting or this class that they're doing for a few weeks. So it's really a nice, uh, it's, it's a different, unique kind of model. 
Yeah, got it, got it. Now, how do clients respond, for example, then to, because, you know, with regular, like, I guess, standard yoga studios, you go in and there's this club, there's Hatha Yoga here, and there's, you know, Iyengar at this time. And, and, and how do clients respond to uh, perhaps not having the same regular classes each week, unless there are some people that do have regular classes? We do actually have a lot of regular classes. Um, so they, those teachers bring in the same students and then if a teacher has a workshop here and there or a class here and there they usually bring in their own students or sometimes I'll get um, an email asking about a certain class and then I'll direct the student to that teacher so I think it works pretty well but the challenge is that the teachers sometimes do need help filling their classes and sometimes they'll have problems, you know, bringing in enough students or getting going. But once they do that, they have a following. Right, right. So it's really kind of, it's down to them. They, they've got to be motivated to actually find their own following. Um, and, and They have do. Them. It's like, so like I'm an entrepreneur and they are too. So yeah. we're kind of like learning together how to bring in students. So they're bringing in the students and I'm bringing in the teachers. Got it. So it's, and, it's, yeah. it's a very supportive model for like entrepreneurs. And how often is it um, open? Like um, are there classes like kind of pretty much all day, every day, or is it mostly evenings or weekends? Or I'm just wondering how, how booked you are each week. Yeah, so we're really, really booked on nights and weekends, and yeah. our mornings are becoming very booked. But during the day, so from like 10 to say 4, those are more sporadic because people work. Sure. Yeah. So yeah. we have less classes during the day, but we will have a noon class here and there. Right. And so, can people book the space for rehearsal? Because I'm thinking like dancers or what have you could... Maybe one. Definitely. Yeah. Dance rehearsals, photography, videos. We have all the props so they can come in and take, people come in and take um, yoga photos for their website, oh, videos. Fantastic. Yeah, we get right. really nice natural light during the day. So Great, great. Nice oh, that's, that's good. No, it's a very interesting model. I hadn't heard of that model before. So it's, uh, it sounds really, really great. I love that you're kind of, yeah, encouraging the, the entrepreneurial thing so that people aren't just kind of rocking up and going through the paces or like you say, being locked into teaching a particular way or a different style. They can be quite creative. So I think that's... Yeah, that's pe pe the teachers are amazing. They're so creative. It's like amazing what they bring and what they want to share with their students. I'm like always inspired. <laughs> now, who are the predominant clientele that come to the studio? I know you've probably got a, a, a range and it's going to depend on the teachers and what have you, but is there any kind of predominant clientele that you're seeing in terms of age or gender or demographic? It's mostly women of all ages. We have new yoga teachers um, teachers that have a following that bring in a lot of students and they just need a new space. So they find us. Right. Uh, and, yeah, and are their clients, of, are their clients predominantly women? So the people usually, they're bringing. Yeah. To, yeah. Okay. I would say the majority, yes, are women that Got come it. through the studio. I think the, I don't want to like generalize, but I think the, the majority of yoga is, is women yeah got it got it now in terms of you know because obviously you're vegan and, and plant-based so 
I'm curious how that runs in terms of the studio. So, for example, I know because I've done a lot of yoga over the years and, you know, some studios, um, you know, they they don't really kind of go very much with the ethics around animals, whereas something like Jiva Mukti, for example, and I mean, you probably know Sharon Gannon, who's in New York, that runs Jiva Mukti. That's kind of run on vegan principles. And I'm curious, so do you run your studio along those lines? And I'm curious about how much you use the word vegan in relation to your business? I don't use it um, in marketing because it's that's not really what I'm going for as far as teachers coming in. Like, I don't want them to think they have to be vegan to rent. Right. But um, we have a lot of vegan events in the studio. Like, we hosted the Vegan Pledge, the Peace Advocacy Network Pledge, for two years, we did that in the studio. And then whenever I have an event, I usually bring in, you know, vegan snacks and drinks. So it's, I don't advertise that it's a vegan studio, but there's a lot of literature in there for people to read. And a lot of our teachers advocate for plant-based lifestyle. So they'll bring in, um, when they have a class, they'll have, you know, vegan snacks. Oh, so, okay. but you don't have a yeah. policy to say, right, you can't bring any meat or dairy into the studio. I don't, but when I have, when I have an event, it's never, it's always vegan. Yeah. Everything's vegan. So yeah. I don't, yeah, I, that's kind of a rule for myself. Yeah. So, I got it, got but it. I don't put it on the other teachers. Right. Right. And do you teach at the studio yourself or are you just running it and hiring it out to other people? Right now, I'm just running it. I have um, private yoga clients in my neighborhood that I teach, but I don't, right now, I don't teach at the studio. And so, do the teachers let themselves in? Like, so you're not there, or is there anybody there representing the yoga collective, or is it that the, the teachers all get a key and they just, you kind of leave them to it? Like, I'm just curious how that works, the sort of administration oh, yes. side of it. So new teachers, I'll show them the space. So I meet them at the studio to show them the space and talk about their class. Um, and when it's time for them to have their class, they get the door code 24 hours before their reservation and they let themselves in, do their class, and then they let themselves out. Oh, I see. It's on a, a code. It's, it's oh, very okay. independent. Yeah. So it's quite a lot of trust needs to be going on there yeah. so that people don't just <laughs> randomly rock up and yeah. let themselves in to do a class or a rehearse okay and you're finding yeah. that works so uh, people are work. Yeah, people are honoring that okay <laughs> okay that's interesting um yeah so I was going to ask you what methods you've used to fund and grow your brand but I think you've actually answered that you've sort of started out with the part-time jobs and then you've built this up to the point where um you're you're able to run this um on its own so I presume you don't have shareholders or investors or anything like that no I don't um I do mainly advertising through Facebook and then there's always word of mouth referrals so that's yeah. wonderful. Yeah, and I was going to ask you about that um, in terms of your, your marketing strategy. So let me ask you first, I mean, I'm curious how, because there's a lot of yoga studios everywhere, and I know there's a lot in New York. So how do you go about, yeah, standing out? Um, and, um, and sort of, I mean, I know that the, it, that's a strange question in a way because you're almost relying on the, the teachers to bring their students in, but still just to raise the profile of your brand to let people know that it's there. Um, how do you, what's your point of difference? 
I think the model itself is the difference. So I get a lot of teachers that come in and say, thank you so much for having a studio where I can just come in and be myself. So when I do Facebook ads or do any kind of advertising and talking about the space, I push out for entrepreneurs. You know, you can come in and teach what you wish, um, bring your students, do whatever, you know, do whatever you want, uh, practice teaching. We're here for you. We have all the mats and props. We have a really nice space. So basically I just push the, um, what our strength is. And I think that's where we're here for them and yeah. they can just come in and do what they want. So when you and say we, you run you know, those, don't, sorry, when you run oh, those sorry, Facebook ads, you're, you're actually yeah. um, advertising to the teachers rather than say the general public. So you're, is that right? Yeah. Got it. So oh, okay. I'm advertising to, to the teachers and like entrepreneurs in general, like photographers, people that just need a space. Oh, I see. Got it. Got it. So you're not, um, yeah, I see what you mean now. So you're not promoting the yoga collective directly to the public. So that makes a, a difference. Okay. Okay. Now that makes sense. Cool. I try to also do ads though, bringing in students students so that the teachers get recognition as well. So it is like a kind of a tricky advertising model because I am gearing more towards teachers, but I also want students come in to come in and take their classes. But mainly yeah. my, yeah, mainly my focus is teachers and people who need the space. Got it. Got it. So in terms of, so you use social media, you use Facebook ads that you've mentioned. Now you also, uh, I'm curious about what other types of marketing you do, because I know you do something called a munch and meditate events. So tell me a bit about those and, and how they help the business. So I did a munch and meditate event in February that sold out. It's uh, I basically, I did meditation for the group of people. Uh, it was 10 of them. And they came in and I did a guided meditation for them. And then I cooked a vegan dinner. It was a four course dinner and they just kind of met other people. We talked, it was a really nice time. I had music going and it was, it, it was right in the yoga studio <laughs> and it was really, really wonderful. So I'm looking to do more of those events. I kind of want to tweak them a little bit to do maybe a theme to go with them so I'm hoping to bring them back in the fall since summer is very, you know, iffy. Everyone's on vacation. And it's very hot in New York as well in the summer. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I've been there yeah. in the summer. So that's interesting. So, And do you find, so are they kind of like standalone events that are just part of your business model that are another stream of income? Or do you also say perhaps attract students or other teachers um, to it's, help the yoga made- business? Yeah, it's mainly just for me to bring students or to bring anybody in because I love cooking for other people. I love bringing people together. I do another meetup group in my neighborhood where we do all events around our neighborhood together. So I just love bringing people together, um, especially around food because I love cooking plant-based food for people. You know, I'm not a chef, but like I'm a self-taught you know, cook. And I love to do that for other people. So it's mainly just, I I love having the events kind of just to maybe spread veganism 
and kind of bring people into the studio and do something nice for them. Yeah. yeah. And I guess it gets people talking about the studio and everything when they say they, they've been there. So that's fantastic. Yeah, definitely. And you, you mentioned your blog as well, Forever Plant Based. So, I mean, is that something you do for pleasure? Or is it, does that also contribute in some way to the business? So right now it's for fun, but I definitely want to focus more, start to focus more on that as another, source of income but mainly I'm kind of just throwing myself into the studio to get that um, up and going so right now I do um, my blog for fun because I love to share recipes Uh, I have a Facebook group that is really nice and active and I share the recipes with them so it's really fun for now yeah it was completely started because veganism inspired me to start cooking healthy and and then I just wanted to share all that with other people. Yeah. It just seems that they're all very quite connect. They all kind of fit together. It's not like you've got three separate things that are all really different. It kind of seems like they all kind of fit in and uh, kind of influence the other. Yeah. It's really, really nice. Um, yeah. Awesome. You mentioned Facebook and Facebook ads. Are there any other social media platforms that you're on that you would say are, are good in terms of getting you business or raising your brand? Uh, it- Instagram and Twitter, I must say I'm, I'm the best at Instagram and Facebook, but for my blog, Facebook is great to connect with people. Um, and I would say Instagram is great for both the blog and the yoga collective. Great. So I mainly pour, pour myself into Instagram and Facebook. And then when I do the Facebook ads, it, it also runs on Instagram as well. well. Got it. Got it. And you mentioned you had a Facebook group um, for people who are obviously interested in the plant-based cooking. So I guess potentially that could be something where you build up your community and then perhaps a, sell them a product of some kind or bring them into the studio if they're interested in yoga. Yes, definitely. I have a forever plant-based business page for my blog. So it's very, it's really very active. Um, People write comments in and we talk about different things. It gets a lot of interaction, especially since the algorithms were supposed to change on Facebook. I was a little worried about that with the business pages, but I still get a lot of engagement. So it's wonderful. Is it a page or a group that you have? It's um, a business page. Oh, it's a, page. It's a okay. Yeah. It's a business page on Facebook. Oh, okay. Okay. I wasn't sure. Cause I thought you said it was a group, which is, it's different. Okay. Well, that's good to know that you're getting um, organic engagement on, on a business page on Facebook. That's very that's good to hear. Wonderful. <laughs> it's always a wonderful thing. <laughs> Absolutely. No, that's brilliant. So, so Nicole, for someone who, and I know you've written a blog post about this, which I think was, was really great. Um, and we can actually even put a link to that actually on the show notes page. But for those people who aspire to running a business, running it on vegan principles, whether it's yoga or not, just any kind of business, what are your, what's your opinion in what, the, what are the key things they need to take into account before making that jump from full-time employment to self-employed, especially if they're even planning to do what you did and and move cities or states to do it? So I would definitely make sure you have some savings and some money in a bank because you don't want to quit your job before you have yourself set up a little bit. Um, So you definitely want to have a little bit of money or be working a job that will keep you going while you get your business uh, going. 
So I would definitely start with that. And then you have to be your genuine self. So you have to do your business and move your business forward, being true to yourself and your principles. So doing what you love, think about what your mission is and just keep going with it and remind yourself why you're doing what you do. So for me, the Yoga Collective is a space that I want teachers to be able to come to and teach their class and get something from that so that they can pass on their creative, um, whatever their creative ways of teaching others, what they want to teach others, bringing that to them in a safe space. So I want to make the Yoga Collective a place, I want to keep making it a place that people want to come to and be able to do what they want to do with their business. Got it. Also my blog, I want to be able to bring veganism to other people and have it be accessible and show them that it's easy to be vegan. Yeah. Any tips for people who are moving cities and states, perhaps what some of the challenges were there, or because I know you mentioned in your blog, you know, you can get a bit lonely in the big city. So any tips for people who who are moving um, cities or states to start up their own business? So make sure that you understand the city that you're moving to, Um, like who lives there, how the businesses run a little bit, you know, what what businesses are in the area that you're moving to and sorry and um make sure you understand how to set up a business in the state that you're moving to like all those logistical things and then once you do that kind of surround yourself with knowing other businesses so for me i'm on this um it's called town squared and it's um a message board of other business owners and we ask each other questions and kind of help each other in that sense. So you want to kind of connect with other businesses and other organizations that help small businesses so that you can kind of feel supported. Also, you want to meet new people and meet friends. So meetup.com is a wonderful thing. (laughs) Yes. I've I've found a lot of people through meetup.com and just other organizations that have your interests. So I would go to yoga events or I would go to vegan events. I used to go to a ton of vegan events of vegan events when I moved to New York City because I wanted to be around, you know, other vegans. It's kind of lonely in the suburbs being, you know, I was kind of the only vegan that I knew. So meeting other people that have your likes is wonderful. Yeah, no, that's that's actually really good advice. Definitely were there any mo- were there moments where you just thought, oh my god, this is just too hard. I don't want to do it. I want to go back home. And if so, what made you stay? Yeah, <laughs> there was very scary moments of what am I doing here? Like you're crazy. Gotta go home. <laughs> that was when I was transitioning from being a nanny to going to do the studio full time. It was very very financially difficult and thankfully I have a very supportive mother that helped me and you know was there to support me so 
definitely I was wondering, there were a couple times in that transition where I thought, you know, I should go home. This is really difficult. And of course, there are times when you get lonely. So you're wondering what you're doing here. (laughs) But now I just feel it's four years later, and I finally feel like everything's clicking and I'm doing, I'm, I'm here and I'm supposed to be here. Got it. How did you know when you were ready, Nicole, to move full time into the business? Um, So I went to London in November for a week. My hometown. Yeah. Oh my gosh. London. Okay. So London is now my second favorite city. (laughs) It's wonderful. So I went to London and it kind of like rejuvenated me. It was one of the best trips I've ever taken. I went to Paris for one day and I came home and I was totally refreshed and I just went full speed ahead into the business because I, when I was in London, I thought you, you're either going to do this or you're not going to do it. So you have to put your a hundred percent into it or it's not going to be 100%. So I just, I just came home and I just felt I was so jet lagged and I went to bed earlier. So it forced me into a better sleep pattern. And then I just woke up and I just would always feel refreshed. So I got the studio repainted around Thanksgiving. I got um, new wall, inspirational wall decor. And it's been, it looks awesome. And then I just kept going with it. I redid the website. I redid our class packages. I connected with other businesses. It's been wonderful. Wow. And I thought through the whole thing, I'm like, you're going to do all this and then you're going to have to close. But like, I just, <laughs> my, my uh, more teachers came in and I just like the positive feeling that I felt just translated to other teachers. And I just kept bringing in more classes. It's, it's been wonderful. Nice. It's interesting. So thank isn't it? you, London. Yes, London. I know. I love my original hometown. I go back when I can. But it's interesting you said that because I was curious. Like, the reason I asked that is whether there was a kind of point where you thought, right, I'm actually generating enough income now to be able to go and work full time in the business. But then there's also or the other way of doing it is to say, right, in order to be able to get that income coming in, I'm going to have to make a leap of faith. So was yours more the latter? Um, I, yes. So I, let me try to think about what I was thinking here. So yeah, I, there was a point where like before I left for London, where I was going through like a financial, financial hardship, definitely. And I was still thinking, I am probably going to have to move back home. But then I thought, no, I have, to, I have to give this one more try. And so I just kind of, I went to London. I really couldn't afford to go there, which was funny. I just, I needed to get away. I just, I really, it was, it was not maybe the best thing to do, but something was telling me to go, to go there. So I really wanted to see my friends and I just wanted a vacation. I was dying to go to London. And then I just came home and I just got this, I just thought, 
you know how when you go away, you have a more of appreciation yes, for where you live? Absolutely. That's, that's the kind of thing that I got. And I thought, I love New York City. I'm going to make this work. And then I just threw myself into it. And I thought, okay, this is tricky. Yes, because now you're kind of out on a limb taking a chance. But for some reason, I kept believing this is going to work out. This is going to work out. Wow. And so far, it's been working out. I love I, that. I, <laughs> yeah, I still, I'm just, just beginning to live completely off of the studio. It's, it's tricky because there's a lot of overhead. My rent yes. is very high. I can imagine. Yeah. Yeah. I, I always seem to be putting out a lot of money, but it's for the teachers. It's for the students. You know, it's, it's good. It's all yeah. good. Fantastic. And I really appreciate your honesty as well um, about, you know, the, some of the challenges, because I think people do need to hear that instead of just thinking, oh, yeah, I'll just do this and it's all going to be really simple. So I do appreciate you sharing your journey, both the, the you know, the challenges as well as how you've, you've overcome them. I think you've, you've got a really inspiring story, um, which I think is wonderful. Thank you. So. I, often, <laughs> I often wonder, like, how small business people do it. And I feel like they should talk more about how like their side jobs, like nobody likes to like say that they have side jobs yes. to be in New York city and not do that. You have to nanny or you have to dog sit or something. Something has to keep you afloat. Yeah. And you don't need to be ashamed of it. It's almost like, you yeah. don't. Yeah. I mean, it, the city is, is mad expensive and you have to live and have a life. So. Absolutely. And I think that's true in any yeah. big cities as well. Anyway, exactly. So, yeah. yeah. But no, that's <laughs> wonderful. It's been a pleasure speaking with you, Nicole. Thank you very much for joining me today. Thank you so much, Katrina. This has been wonderful. So that was Nicole D'Angelo from the Yoga Collective. You can find out more at yogacollectivenyc.com. And that link is on the show notes page at veganbusinessmedia.com forward slash podcasts and going to episode 106. Now for our Vegan Business News Roundup. Vegan and plant-based initiatives are taking off in corporate workplaces. Thanks largely to the efforts of a group called Vegan Leaders in Corporate Management. Founded in 2014 by Darina Bockman, Senior Finance Director, Global Projects and Information Systems at commercial real estate services firm CBRE in San Diego, California, the group is a platform that mobilizes influential vegans working in large corporations and supports them to advance plant-based initiatives. The group currently has 2,300 members as of July 2018 when this episode is being recorded, including many in Fortune 500 and Fortune 100 companies, including Google, Facebook, Bank of America and many more. As well as connecting corporate vegans with each other, the group also provides them with the tools and resources to initiate plant-based projects in their workplace. Now, I wrote about this in my Forbes Online column recently, and what's great about this is that it offers opportunities for vegan entrepreneurs. Many of the staff at some of these corporations have successfully collaborated with vegan business owners, bringing them and all their products into the workplace, which is a win for everyone. You can find out more details in my Forbes article, which I'll put a link to on the show notes page for this episode. Plant-based innovation in the food and drink sector is continuing to flourish. 
Innova Market Insights reports that plant-based product claims increased by 62% globally, that's the compound annual growth rate, between 2013 and 2017. With growth occurring on platforms such as plant proteins, active botanicals, sweeteners, herbs and seasonings, and colouring foodstuffs. The research firm says that growing consumer interest in health, sustainability, and ethics is what's driving plant based ingredients and products to become more popular. The dairy alternatives market has been a particular beneficiary of this trend, according to Luann Williams, Director of Innovation at Innova Market Insights, noting that the growing availability and promotion of plant-based options to traditional dairy lines, specifically milk beverages and cultured products such as yogurt, frozen desserts and ice cream. Beverages play a large role in this growth. Global sales of dairy alternative drinks are set to reach 16.3 billion US dollars in 2018, and they accounted for over 8% of global dairy launches recorded by Innova Market Insights in 2017, up from 7% over 2016. And actual global launches have more than doubled over a five year period. Williams said, In the move to offer something new, we're starting to see an increasing variety of non-soy plant-based ingredients, including cereals such as rice, oats and barley. We also noticed an increase in nuts such as almonds, hazelnuts, cashews, walnuts and macadamias, as well as coconut and more unusual options such as lupin, hemp and flaxseed. So this is great news and it offers entrepreneurs opportunities within this space. Finally, this next news item is an example of just this kind of innovation in the dairy alternative space outlined by the Innova report. A vegan ice cream parlour making what it claims is the first ice cream made from tiger nuts has opened inside a shipping container in Toronto, Canada, reports Veg News. The Chufa company sells its tiger nut milk-based soft serve that was developed by Doug Goff, an ice cream scientist, what a fabulous job, <laughs> at the University of Guelph in Ontario. The scoops can be ordered inside a sugar cone topped with sauces and sprinkles. The store also offers two Sunday options and sells pints in three flavours, ground vanilla bean, chocolate brownie and roasted strawberry and cardamom at select Canadian retailers, including Yam Chops, the first vegan butcher shop to open in North America. So, as well as being innovative in terms of ingredients, the Chufa company is also a good example of a business getting creative with a physical location, in this case, turning a shipping container into a vegan store. Hopefully, this will give some of you some inspiration. So, that's it for this episode of Vegan Business Talk. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed the show, I'd really appreciate it if you gave it a review and rating on iTunes or any other platform you're listening on. Finally, I encourage you to head over to veganbusinessmedia.com where you can find more free resources as well as details of how we can work together to help you grow your vegan business. I'm Katrina Fox, author of Vegan Ventures, Start and Grow an Ethical Business. And I look forward to catching up with you in the next episode of Vegan Business Talk.
Bye for now. 